Special thanks to Aird and Bearless for helping us bring you today's PO Leaderships Snippet Podcast. Welcome to our Snippets Podcast. I'm Leon Gorin, CEO and President of PO Leadership, North America's premier peer-to-peer network and leadership advisory firm. Today, we welcome Scott Cooper, President and CEO at Trust Beverages. Scott has been a leader in the CPG industry for many years, having worked both in Canada and the U.S., Prior to Trust Beverages, he served as the Global Chief Innovation Officer of Molson Coors for four years. On his return back to Canada from Denver last year, he joined our PO leadership community, and I know both his advisory group and our community are very happy to have him on board. Scott, it's great to have you with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to the discussion. So I thought I'd kick it off around the transition to a company like Trust. And where you're the president and CEO. Maybe you just walk us through a little bit of how that happened and maybe some of the differences between the roles or any surprises. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think probably the most jarring transition for me was for becoming head of innovation globally, I was the chief commercial officer for the Canadian business. And in that role, you've got a lot of resources, you've got a lot of um, uh, big company support around you. And moving into that role as a head of global innovation, it was really about creating new capabilities for a large organization. And innovation, and particularly startups, is just a fundamentally different skill set than large companies typically have. And a part of the four-year journey there was setting up those capabilities, bringing in a different team, you know, setting an agenda. And then, in a lot of ways, transitioning to trust, it was it wasn't easy, but it was almost a, a relief, I guess is the word I would use. It was a chance to, to you know, building capabilities in a large organization to start up small companies, you're fighting against the, the current and, and everything that's in that company, systems, process, capability is built for something else. And so then being able to come in and actually run one of those small companies uh, and apply some of those disciplines of being able to move quicker, you know, certainly being informed by data, but but not getting to 90% certainty before you move. Um, it was really enjoyable uh, coming into it. So you bring up an interesting point, and I know a lot of companies are sort of trying to figure this out, but when you were with Molson Coors and you're running innovation, do you have autonomy or were you part, like influence under the big header between the two companies? And because everyone talks about they feel stifled within those large organizations sometimes when you're running innovation, right? So, yeah, you, you got innovation, but you're still having to support the whole larger organization. So sometimes it's not as innovative as you hope it to be. Uh, well, specifically at Molson Coors, we were given a fair bit of autonomy, uh, in, in even including the somewhat the degree of autonomy that we wanted. Uh, and at the time, we were just coming to an end of an era where a lot of large companies had set up air quotes, garages in Silicon Valley, and they set up these incubators. And our observation at the time was you actually, it's not a good thing for a large company's innovation group to have that much autonomy. And almost none of them succeeded because they were disconnected from the commercial needs and goals of the business. Yeah. And they were almost too creative. Uh, so I, you know, getting that balance right of being connected to the goals of the business, in the case of Molson Coors, you know, staying very focused on beverages, uh, but starting to look beyond alcohol uh, and staying closely connected to the business units themselves, the operating units, because ultimately they're the ones who need to lead and commercialize any innovation that a you know, central innovation team is going to uh, come up with. And if they're not on board early and 
uh, and passionately, then that's going to undermine the success of, of anything they come up with. So um, it, having the autonomy and being somewhat removed from the day-to-day pressure of the, of the P&L is important. So you can think creatively and outside of the parameters of the business, but equally being connected uh, is also very important. So you started it though, as the chairman, right? Of, of trust. What sort of, what spurred you on to take on the president and CEO? Cause it was, it's a major shift for you, right? You've been in the commercial, you were the commercial officer, you know, you were chief innovation and now you went into that startup and you actually understood the startup because you guys were the one incubating it. Any nerves jumping in to that small startup to get it going? Um, of course. At the, at the time that I stepped into it, we didn't have a plant uh, built. Uh, it was, I mean, COVID was just hitting. Uh, There's still a lot of restrictions around what you could and couldn't do with the, the new uh, legislation. Uh, so yes, it was, there was no proof of concept. Didn't know if consumers were going to like our products. Didn't even know if we could make good products uh, at that point in time. Uh, so definitely uh, stepped off the uh, the ledge and, and then jumped in the water on that one. Um, but I, you know, if I kind of wind back, uh, this was an initiative that we kicked off in 2017 when we'd gone to the executive team at Molson Coors and then subsequently the board and, and pitched them the idea of getting into uh, cannabis and specifically cannabis-infused beverages. Um, so we'd been looking at it for a long time. We'd done a lot of research. We did a large study with McKinsey with about 10,000 consumers in North America to really understand it. So as much as it was a risk with a lot of unknowns, we also I also had a lot of confidence based on the consumer research uh, and data that we had. And, and we'd made a lot of progress since 2017 around some of the base technologies and making uh, uh, ingested cannabis bioavailable and, and you know, feeling the effects quickly, quick onset. Um, so it, yes, I was, despite some of those nerves and uncertainties, quite confident uh, taking, the, taking the role and, and actually really excited to pioneer something. How, how many times do you get to lead a business that has literally never been done in the world before? Oh, it is. It's amazing. It's funny because I, we often, I've been doing this a lot of years. And so I often had the hired guns who are always looking at and going, that entrepreneurial element looks so fantastic, but often very nervous to sort of jump into it, right? Because they, they look at it, they admire it, but rarely do they jump. And then some of that jump actually sometimes sit back and go, oh my God, I had no idea that it was going to be like, I had all these resources before and now I got no one and I'm doing it all. And it's overwhelming sometimes for them. So, yeah. well, I, I guess I'm a little bit lucky in that you know, I, I got to step into a startup that was well capitalized. We've got two two large uh, shareholders with Molson Coors and and Hexo in the cannabis space. Uh, so, I I, uh, I admire those who take a you know, as much as I took a leap. You know, we have good backing, and then those who take a true leap to kind of start from scratch is uh, I, I think a different thing entirely. And just tremendous respect for people who choose to do that. No, it's great. So you've been at it now for a few years and it's, and we've almost all of us on the sidelines have been watching this whole cannabis space grow and, and listening to the media and stuff. Let's talk about the size of the business. Cause the perception at, I think a lot of people look at it, it's growing, but we don't know how fast it's growing. We see retailers showing up everywhere. Is it meeting expectations in terms of, let's go back to that McKinsey study you guys did years ago, in terms of size of market versus alcohol, in terms of consumer adoption? Is it coming as fast or have we run into a few barriers? 
it is not coming as fast. Uh, so they started the highest level of total cannabis retail sales. In 2020, it was around 2.6 billion, and most had been forecasting around 3.1, 3.2 uh, in advance of that year. And, and this year looks like it's going to come in around 3.8 to 3.9 ish, uh, maybe a little bit higher. I mean, COVID has definitely made it difficult to, to predict things, yeah. uh, but. But on track, you know, roughly people were forecasting by 2025 about an $8 billion business. It'll be kind of in that, I think, six to seven by then. So significant and and still challenging large established industries like alcohol for scale and size, uh, but not merging emerging quite as quickly as people had forecast and expected. And is it the consumer, like the consumer trialing it, that's sort of the biggest challenge that you... Yeah, well, I can speak specifically to, to cannabis-infused beverages because obviously that's where our focus and expertise is. Um, and when we launched the business, where we really were excited is cannabis-infused beverages overcome a lot of the um, social stigmas that are associated with smoking and the yeah. other, you know, the primary forms of, of cannabis consumption. Uh, and we thought that there would be both current cannabis consumers would, be, would gravitate towards beverages uh, and and use us for occasions where they didn't want to or couldn't smoke. But we also thought that there would be an equally large group of consumers that were interested in cannabis, but didn't want to smoke it and would come into the category. And what we've found for our business is it's been very much the former group, Uh, the the current cannabis consumers adding beverages as part of their repertoire and very little of new consumers coming into the category uh, via cannabis infused beverages. So that, that has not, um, grown as quickly as we thought it would. Uh, Although on the current um, cannabis consumers, we're seeing some really, really strong trial uh, and about 85% repeat rates once people have tried the products. So it's more, okay. So if I understand it, it was the the new consumers who had never really done this before, still were hesitant really to sort of jump in and give it a try. And, And still are. So I think that's probably the gap between what industry was forecasting from overall growth to to where we are today. I, I think it'll still come. I think it just change and behavior takes time. And, and I know the, the first time uh, I would not, I was not a category consumer before stepping into this role and, and you know, trying some of our products for the first time, it, you really don't know how it's going to affect you. And so there's, yeah. you know, it takes time to create space to, to try it and, I think everyone kind of has to go on that journey and and find a way to ease into it. Yeah, no, I agree. It was almost like a stigma that you've been brainwashed for so many years that uh, it took it takes a while because I've been the same thing. I was on the outside, right? Never have done and want to try it. And then once you try it, you're like, oh, okay, this is it's like alcohol in in, in many respects, right? Um, but there's still a lot of people out there who haven't really. They're nervous about it. It's almost like a generation gap we got to go through here, possibly. Very much so. There was an interesting study that was done in the U.S. probably about a year ago, where they asked uh, millennials and Generation Z versus Gen X and, and Boomers if you could have only one of alcohol or cannabis legal, which would you choose? And for Gen X and Boomers, two thirds chose alcohol, and for Gen Z and Millennials, two thirds chose cannabis. So th- there is a there is a divide there around attitudes and perceptions for sure. 
That's awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks for sharing your insights on the industry and even on your transition. If you're interested in our live webcast, The Wave Forward Live and or any other snippets, please take a moment and visit us at poleadership.com. You'll find on our site various previous recorded webcasts, which include the guests as Morgan Housel, Professor Janice Stein, Harvard's Rosabeth Cantor, Mitchell Goldhar, Dr. Jason Self. And we cover such topics as mental health, leadership, the world reset, and a host of others. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you again shortly.